something important happening Wednesday night. saying, thank you, God, by loving other people. Straight away we have a contrast because it goes to the story of Cain in verse 12. Do not be like Cain. Cain belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. We read that in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, the boys are going to offer sacrifices to God um, and Cain um, brings some of the fruits and some of the things he's grown um, and it's almost as though he's going through the motions. He's just doing it because it's got to be done. Uh, but Abel, on the other hand, he, he goes and kills his firstborn. Now, for farmers, the firstborn livestock is the ones you're going to breed from. The firstborn is a really important animal because you've got one, but you don't know whether there's going to be breeding problems, you might not get any more. The firstborn is really important. And Abel actually gives God his best. He takes some fat from the portion of his firstborn, which means he had to kill it. And in this situation, that fat was the sort of prized part of the animal. And so he's giving God the, the best animal, but the best part of this animal. And so he's really serious about God. He's giving out. God can see the attitude of both of them as they come. One is sort of a bit laid back, just going through the motions. One who just loves God and wants to give him the best. God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And because Cain's had this sort of attitude of a bit flippant towards God, a bit laid back, then that attitude suddenly develops into jealousy over Abel's offering, and then jealousy goes to hatred, and hatred goes to murder. It just goes quickly down that way. 
And we're going to look more at that today. You see, the Jewish priests had that problem with Jesus, didn't they? The Jewish priests were, were really uh, jealous of Jesus' miracles and power and prestige. And, and they moved from being jealous to hating him to murdering him, didn't they? They moved down the same way that Cain did with Abel. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one our brothers. Anyone does not love remains in death. It's saying there that part of this, knowing that we've been forgiven by Jesus, knowing that we're now adopted as sons and daughters, knowing the great love of God, the love of Jesus, and knowing we have a place in eternal life, then there's going to be a response, a response of love. Because we know back in 3 1, we know the love that the Father's lavished on us. That abundant love in Jesus. And we know that the, the family of God, the character of the family of God is God is love. So love is the character of all the family of God. And we who possess eternal life, we know that. We know we're now in the family of God. We're adopting his family and we're to love. The Holy Spirit comes in us and seals us as God's adopted sons and daughters. What's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? Verse 22. It starts with L. Love, yeah. The first fruit. And you can actually say the dominant fruit because all those other fruits could be the outworking of love. But it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never ends and without love there's nothing in ministry. If you do things in ministry in service of God, love's not there. It just adds up to nothing. It's worthless. Love is important. It's a priority. And we know that faith and faith and hope are important, but we're told in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, verse 13, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, that there's faith and hope, but love, and love is the greatest of all. So we can't ignore love. It's just the whole character of the family of God. It's the priority in ministry, it's a priority in what we do, it's the first fruit of the Spirit. And so followers of Jesus Christ recognize that. They recognize that, that they not only receive love, but they want to give love. And they really hunger for, for fellowship with other Christians so they can pour their love on them. They delight in meeting together. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, they don't give up meeting together. They make sure they meet together to worship, to pray, to talk about the Bible. And it's an unselfish, caring love because they want to encourage and nurture, build each other up character of being a member of the family of God. Verse 15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Hating is a lack of spiritual birth. It's actually a, a fact of, of being spiritually dead to God. Hating and anger and murder are all in Jesus' teaching. They all add up the same thing. And anger violates God's command to love. It's a stewing bitterness inside someone that's going to leap out of control sooner or later. Also, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And self-control means that we can hold in these things. We, can hold, we don't let our feelings run rampant. We don't have to respond to people around us in nasty ways. We can control our thoughts and our attitudes, what motivates us. And important in all that, that self-control and love is forgiveness. Because things are going to go wrong. And we're going to have to weather them. And we're called to forgive the way God forgives us. Remember the Lord's Prayer? 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then just beyond that, it says, if we you know, don't forgive, then God's not going to forgive us. In Matthew chapter 5. So forgiveness is really important because Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18 of a man who owed his employer a vast amount of money. In today's terms, it would be a million dollars. Huge debt. Couldn't pay it. Begged his master to forgive him. Couldn't pay it. That's in the jail. His master forgave him. He walked out and found another worker who owed him a few dollars and he gave him hell and locked him up because he couldn't pay the money. Was the master happy about that? No, that was wrong. The man who was forgiven so much failed to forgive someone who only owed him a little. Didn't have that mercy that was given to him to pass on to others. We're told to be merciful. God's merciful with us. We're told to be merciful with other people. That's part of what loving incorporates. So we have this new life, a new life where we love and don't hate. There's no room for hate in this new life. And to love in this new life, it's a love of self-sacrifice. Look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus Christ, um, laying down his life, um, came as the example, a supreme example in the Bible of hatred. He murdered his brother. And Jesus Christ is presented as a supreme example of love. Laying down his life for us. A person's life is most precious to them. Self-sacrifice, his self-sacrifice is not... Um, something just to be admired, something we need to, to copy because it goes on to say we're to lay down our lives for our brothers. How are we going to do that? What does that mean? It means sacrificing what we want to do to serve other people, to help other people, to love them in really practical ways. And to do that, we can't love people unless we know what's going on in their lives, unless we know what they need and how we can help them, how we can encourage them, how we can support them. And to do that, we need to listen and learn from each other. We need to take time to listen and learn so we can direct our love. And we're called to have an unconditional love, not a, not a love that says, I'll love you if I get something I want, but actually an unconditional love. And look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no opinion on him, how can the love of God be in him? We're to help if we've got the ability to help. C.H. Dodd, writing on this, a commentator said, Love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life to enrich the life of another. Surrendering what has value for your own life to enrich the life of another. It's, it's not sacrificial love, it's not giving people the drinks, you know, giving the cast offs, giving the, the stuff I don't really want, the time I don't really need, the, the money I've got, you it's not giving people the dregs. It's giving people the good stuff. It's going to be costly. Verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Let's not just have with unpleasant words, you know, sleep warm, eat well without helping people. Let's be, be people who give and support and love with flesh on it. Let's do tangible things to love people. Now, some people right now, 
particularly if you've got the gift of mercy and pastoral care, you see people in need and you want to help them and you can never do enough. And right now, you might be feeling massive amounts of false guilt. We'll look at that next week. Because we don't want to go into feeling false guilt. Because we can do that easily. We're going to look more at that next week. But let's look right now, okay, how are we going to love? And what's some ways we can love? Well, I was talking this about someone a person, what about the people who are unlovable? What about the person who, you know, for, for the background you've had with them or, or whatever reason, you really find it very difficult to show that person love? How are you going to do what Jesus says here? And this wise older person said to me, Look for one good thing in a person to help you be able to love them. One good thing. I mean, the bottom line, if you can't find anything else, is God made them. If you're really stuck, that's the bottom line. But can you find something else? And I suppose it's a bit like, you know, do you look at the glass half full or half empty? Because if you look at the glass half empty, you're going to look at a person saying, all these things are not there that I wish were there. And you're going to fail to see what is there. Let's be looking at the half full side. Let's look at actually what's in a person's life. And try and find some good there to love them. That's a good way to go forward in showing love to someone who's, who's difficult. But also, as we look at love, let's, let's look at, unpack what it could be. And uh, Gary Chapman wrote a book, Five Languages of Love. In this book, he shows five ways to express, to give it to people, but also to experience, to have it come back to you. Uh, love language, he calls them. I've got them on your sheet. Uh, the first one is receiving gifts. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, quality time with people. Uh, some people don't want gifts or, or service. They just want to spend time with people. Time where you're, you're not distracted by your mobile. You know, this is a real curse for spending time with people. You've got to put it like I've put it on silent. You've got to put it away. Uh, so we've got to spend yeah, quality time with people. Uninterrupted. I mean, I know my grandkids just love quality time. doesn't matter what you do, as long as you're with them, they're happy about that. So some people like quality time. Some people want words of affirmation. They want things said to them that are sort of encouraging. It could be how they look, it could be what they're doing, it could be a whole lot of things, but they just like words that affirm them. They're really careful on what people say to them and how it, how it comes across. And as I'm talking about other people, Try and work out which one you are. Other people want acts of service, devotion. They want to see things done. You know, they, it could be you know, at home, taking out the garbage bin or doing some things around the house. Or it could be, you know, could be helping someone with a job that they've got in some way that you're able to, but actually physically doing something. Other ones are physical touch. Um, we need to remember state ministry. But this is, this is like things like a handshake or a high five or a tap on the shoulder or something like that. It's not going to go embracing, kissing people, but it's just that physical touch. Some people really like that. You know, and it really helps them more. Which one are you? You've got at least one of those, probably two. And very few people have all five. I don't know. It's possible that we'll fly, but so what we love, you know, the, the way we usually love is the way we are uh, what works for us. So if you're a, a touch person, you want to touch, if you're a, an affirmation person, you want to say things, and we'll overlook the others. It doesn't mean we can't do the others, but what we need to understand is it all comes back if we're going to really love another person, and if we're going to do what rather than what we want, what, what's what they want, we need to listen and learn and understand about them to be able to do that. 
Otherwise, our love is just going to be projecting ourselves, projecting what we think should happen, how it should be done. It's all us. If it's not sacrificial, we need to listen and learn about people. What sort of difference would that make to us? What sort of difference would that make to you? I think it would make a huge difference. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making us. Thank you for demonstrating your love in the lavish gift of your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown us what love is at the sacrifice, giving yourself. Help us to have that sacrificial love for other people. We already do it with people like our children, our parents, our friends, but help us to have that also for others. And help us to have behind that love that we listen and learn and we understand how we can best do that with people. Uh, help us to understand how we like to love, but also help us to understand the other ways we can love. Let us be open to expressing love in different ways. And Father, we pray that out of doing this, there would be a greater sense, a greater awareness, and a greater practicality of loving one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.